We consider the message of the prophet Amos this afternoon, and we read the scriptures in Amos chapter 7. The text for the sermon will begin at verse 10 and go to the end of the chapter, 10 through 17. I will not reread that section, so pay special attention to those words. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. And now is the beginning of the text for the sermon. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there, but prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of this land, his land. We read God's word that far.
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Amos was a farmer from Tekoa, a small city in the southern kingdom of Judah, not too far from Bethlehem. And Amos lived in the days when Uzziah was the king of Judah in Jerusalem, and when Jeroboam II was the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, in Samaria. God raised up Amos, that farmer in Tekoa, and said to him, Go and prophesy to my people Israel in the northern kingdom. From the south, God sent Amos into the north to prophesy at Bethel, which was the center of the golden calf religion of the northern kingdom. Amaziah was the renegade priest who ran that religion at Bethel. And as we saw in our text, he tried to stop and silence Amos from preaching the word of God there. Amos most likely lived after the prophet Joel. We considered Joel last Sunday. Amos probably lived after Joel, and one of the main proofs of that is that Amos quoted Joel. Joel wrote in chapter 3, verse 16 of his book, The Lord shall also roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Amos must have received a copy of the book of Joel, or at least he heard someone recite it to him and he memorized it himself, because Amos was familiar with that particular verse, and he quotes it word for word in chapter 1, verse 2 of Amos. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Then later on, Amos says in chapter 3, verse 8, The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? So Amos is saying that what Joel prophesied is coming true already today. The Lord is roaring like a lion from Zion. Amos prophesied in the northern kingdom around the same time as the prophet Hosea. We also considered him a couple of weeks ago. Amos and Joel, or Amos and Hosea were contemporaries. It seems that Amos began his work before Hosea, but Hosea continued his work to the end of the kingdom, to the time of captivity, whereas Amos seems to have retired some time before that. Therefore, Amos lived in the very same spiritual climate as Hosea and Joel. These were times of earthly peace and prosperity, both in the northern and the southern kingdom. But they were also times of spiritual decline into apostasy. Whereas Joel spoke to the southern kingdom where there was still hope for repentance and reformation, Hosea and Amos spoke to the northern kingdom where there was no longer any hope for that. Amos denounced the crimes that were prevalent in the northern kingdom. And he announced the judgment of God that was coming very quickly in the captivity. Mostly what Amos has to say is very negative. It's a word of Rebuke, it's a word of judgment, it's a word of warning. But at the very end of the book, in the last chapter, 
he concludes with a very hopeful and beautiful prophecy of God's gracious restoration in the kingdom of Christ. So I call your attention to Amos' call to prophesy to corrupt Israel. Notice, first of all, the roaring of Amos against the corrupt nation. Secondly, the calling of God that Amos go and prophesy. And finally, the judgment on those who reject his word. What was the message that Amos roared like a lion and that provoked the wrath of Amaziah, the priest at Bethel? Amos, in the first two chapters, begins by denouncing the sins and crimes of the nations around Israel. But then he proceeds to zero in on the crimes that were prevalent in Judah and especially in Israel. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, he speaks specifically of the sins of the northern kingdom. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes, that that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn away the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God." Notice three categories of sins or crimes that Amos denounced in Israel in his time. First of all, Amos roared against the sins of oppression. The oppression and the abuse of the poor, the needy, the weak, the vulnerable in the land. This was a prevalent sin in Israel in those days. He mentions it throughout the book. We saw in the verse that we just read that Amos denounces the transgression of selling the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes, panting after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turning aside the way of the meek. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says that they know not to do right. They store up violence and robbery in their palaces. In chapter 5, verse 7, he says, they turn judgment into wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. In verse 11, he says that they tread upon the poor and take from them burdens of wheat. In chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, he points out that they couldn't wait for the Sabbath day to be over, the day of rest, because they were so giddy and so eager to get back to the business of cheating the poor out of their money. When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat." Obviously, there was great oppression in the land. The rich were oppressing the poor. The powerful were strangling the weak. 
There was no justice. There was no proper judgment. There was deceitfulness and manipulation. There was taking advantage of the poor in order to give an advantage to the rich. That first of all. In the second place, Amos roared against them that were at ease in Zion. We see that in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. What he means is that the children of Judah and Israel were complacent. They were spiritually complacent and presumptuous. They believed that they were the children of God and therefore nothing evil could happen to them. They could pretty much live how they pleased. They could eat, drink, and be merry. They could dance and chant to the sound of music. They could drink themselves drunk and feast all they wanted. And it didn't matter because they were the people of God. He says in chapter 6, verse 4, They lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall that chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. There was an indulgence of eating and drinking and dancing and singing. There was sexual immorality as well, as we saw that a man and his son would go in unto the same maid, That was a reference to incestual activities, which is one of the greatest abominations. And if that was happening, then surely all kinds of sexual sins were also taking place in the land. Amos roared these words in chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, ye kine of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria. The kine are cows, female cows. He's calling them the cows of Bashan. Bashan was a land east of the Jordan River, which was wealthy with cattle. And so he's referring to the rich women, the rich wives of rich men in Samaria. Hear this word, he says, you cows of Bashan who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their masters, bring and let us drink. That was the attitude and Those were the behaviors in the days of Amos. In the third place, Amos roared against their religion. Because they were not only merely going through the motions of religion, they not only had a kind of mere formalism, a mere outward kind of religion, but they were also walking impenitently in a religion of graven images. God had taken them out of Egypt, and God had said, you must keep my commandments. And one of those is, don't make graven images. Don't bow to them. Don't serve them. But they had crafted these beautiful golden calves and set one of them up in the city of Bethel and one of them up in the northern city of Dan. So that it was also a very convenient religion. If you live near Dan, you can go to the image in Dan. If you live near Bethel, you can go and worship at Bethel. Amos 
denounced that sin and demanded that they stop worshiping at Bethel and seek the Lord. Chapter 5 of the book is where Amos especially issues the call to repentance and to changing their life. He says in verse 4, Thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. He points them to the Lord of hosts, the one true and living God, in verse 8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He called them to put aside their false worship and their false religion. He warned them that God hated it. We can almost not imagine a preacher standing up nowadays in our tolerant and easygoing Christianity and announcing that God hates their worship. But that's what Amos did. In chapter 5, verse 21, he goes on, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer unto me burnt offerings and meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. God was sick and tired of their worship. Let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch, and Chion, your images, the star of your God, which ye have made to yourselves. Amos declares that God doesn't want all of that worship. If they're going to oppress the poor and the needy, if they're going to crush them under their feet and live in drunkenness and indulgence, God hates their worship. He wants none of it. And so Amos pronounced to a corrupt nation the judgment of God that was coming. He pronounced to them, chapter 5, verse 27, Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. In chapter 4, Amos reminds them that God had chastened them time and time again. God is long-suffering. God did not just immediately send them off into captivity. He had chastened them. He says, God took away the rain from you, but you didn't return unto me. God smote you with blasting and mildew. He sent the palmer worm and the locust unto you, but you didn't return unto me. God sent pestilence upon you like he did in Egypt. He slew you with a sword, but you didn't return unto me. God overthrew you like Sodom and Gomorrah, but you didn't return unto me. Therefore, time is up. That's what Amos is saying. 
Your time is up. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man, that is, his thought, that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. This was the message of Amos. In the chapter that we read, in the verse just prior to our text, God shows Amos a vision of a plumb line, and God says, I will not again pass by Israel anymore. The high places of Isaac, referring to the nation of Israel, shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now what was the reaction to the message of Amos? The response was not a humbling and a submission to God's word, but just the opposite. Amaziah, the rogue priest of the golden calf religion at Bethel, we read in verse 10 of our text, he had had enough. He had heard enough. Who does this guy think that he is? This southerner, this Jew from down in Tekoa. Who does he think he is coming up here and telling us that we're doing wrong? Amaziah thought there was nothing wrong with the golden calf religion. He thought everything they were doing was just fine. He didn't see all of those evils and crimes in the land. He denied their existence. And he thought it was finally time to do something about this Amos. He sent to King Jeroboam, king of Israel. This was not the first Jeroboam who created the golden calves, but the second Jeroboam, many decades, even centuries later. This was a Jeroboam who was in the dynasty of Jehu. This was the Jeroboam who lived in prosperous times. Well, it seems that Jeroboam was not too concerned about Amos because the priest sent a message to him evidently trying to convince the king that this prophet was a threat to national security and a threat to the life of the king, and that the king should do something about it. But we don't read that Jeroboam did anything. It's not because he agreed with the message of Amos, but it's because he didn't care about Amos, and he didn't consider him a threat. So Amaziah decided he better take things into his own hands. And that's verse 12 and 13. Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, the word seer is another word for prophet, which calls attention to the fact that the prophets saw visions. They were seers. Amaziah says to him, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there, but prophesy not again any more at Bethel. For it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Amaziah came face to face with Amos and told him to get out of town. And we can sense in his words a veiled threat that if you don't, you'll be in great trouble and we will have to do something about you. The response of Amaziah 
was not just a single and isolated negative response, but it was a reflection of the attitude of the whole nation. And we know that because in chapter 2, verse 12, earlier in the book, Amos speaks to the whole nation and says, Ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. The same thing Amaziah said, the whole nation was saying, Amos, stop prophesying. Stop rebuking us. Stop condemning us. Get out of here and go back to your home in Tekoa. They rejected his message. Now, for a servant of the Lord who is earnestly, sincerely preaching from the heart the word of God and calling men to repent and turn, it's a great discouragement when that word is so violently rejected. But Amos could take comfort in the same thing we can take comfort in. If God is for us, who can be against us? God was for Amos, and Amos knew that, as we'll see in a moment. And it was that knowledge that God was on his side and that he was on God's side that no doubt strengthened him when his word was rejected. When Amos was told to leave Bethel and go back home to Tekoa, he didn't just turn around and go back home. Amos knew that he had to leave them without any excuse before the coming judgment of God. And therefore Amos testified to Amaziah and defended his work by reference to his divine calling. He says to Amaziah in verse 14, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Amaziah was treating Amos as if he was a professional prophet. There were professional prophets in those days. These were the days after Elijah and Elisha who established the schools of the prophets. Amaziah was dealing with Amos as if he was just another one of those prophets who had gone through the schools of the prophets, had graduated from those schools, and had become a professional prophet. No doubt some of those prophets just did this for a living. This was their way of life. And if that was true, then why not? If Amaziah tells me to go preach somewhere else, I can go preach somewhere else. No problem. But Amos points out that he was not a prophet. He was not a prophet's son. He was not a man who was doing this for a living. He was not doing this to earn his daily bread. He couldn't just go anywhere he liked in the land or even in the world and work there in order to earn his living. That's all understood by what Amaziah says to him when he says, go and eat bread in Judah and don't prophesy here. Amos was not a son of a prophet either. Now we could take that two different ways. 
Amos might be pointing out that he was not literally a son of a prophet, that his father was not a prophet. Many of the prophets mention the name of their father in chapter 1, verse 1 of their book, but Amos doesn't mention the name of his father. So we don't really know his background, his origin, his family, and probably he didn't mention his father because his father was no one famous, no one well-known. He wasn't a prophet. Amos is pointing out, I wasn't a preacher's kid. I didn't grow up in the home of a preacher. So that you might dismiss what I have to say because, well, he's just a preacher's kid. He's just trying to follow in his father's footsteps. But the second possibility, and probably the correct one, is that Amos meant that he was not a student of the prophets. The seminary students in those days were known as the sons of the prophets. Amos is saying, I'm not one of those. I'm not registered in the school. I have not been officially entered into the roles of the seminary. And I have not received my seminary education. I'm not one of the sons of the prophets. Well, who are you then? What are you? He says, I was a herdman. I was a shepherd. I'm just an ordinary man. I'm just a normal person. I was just going about my business, leading my small flock of sheep around in the fields of Tekoa. I was just trying to serve my Lord to the best of my ability, carrying out my vocation in life. I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. The sycamore trees in that part of the world are different from the ones here in that they bore fruit. And the fruits that they bore were similar to figs, but a fig was much more appetizing and appealing than a sycamore fruit. So Amos is saying, I was a gatherer of this simple and really rather unappealing fruit. In other words, he wasn't rich, he wasn't powerful, he wasn't influential. He was a simple, ordinary farmer. He didn't seek the ministry of the word. He wasn't aspiring to be a prophet. His whole life long, he wasn't eagerly desirous to become a minister someday. He was simply living his life, his ordinary life. He certainly was not a self-appointed prophet. There are some men who, totally apart from the church, without a call, without ordination, travel here and there and everywhere preaching. Someone might challenge the preaching that they bring because they might ask them, where does your authority come from? Have you been called? Have you been ordained? Have you been sent by God to the church? But Amos wasn't that either. He wasn't a person who sought this work. He was an ordinary man going about his business. And then he says, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. God sent me. That's the reason you must listen. God sent me. That's what Amos says. That's his personal testimony. God must have spoken to him 
through some kind of special direct revelation, which God did back in those days when he spoke to his prophets. He must have spoken to Amos in a dream or a vision like he did throughout his ministry, or that Amos heard the voice of God in his soul saying to him those very words, Amos, go, prophesy to my people Israel. And it changed the whole direction of his life. Everything changed after that. If it wasn't for that divine call, we wouldn't even know the name Amos. We wouldn't have a book of Amos. There would have been no preaching of Amos. He would have been a forgotten, unknown herdsman in Judah. But it was that day when God spoke to him that he also ordained him immediately into the office of prophet and sent him on his mission to the northern kingdom. God called him. And if God called him, then he came with authority. He didn't come with his own message. He came with a message from Jehovah, from the God who made Orion and the seven stars, from the God who filled the universe with all these creatures, the great God, the mighty God, who set the mountains in place and who creates the wind, who declares unto man what is his thought and makes the morning darkness and treads on the high places. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Amos was not a man who was unqualified for this work. God did not select and call and send a man with no gifts. But rather, God had already prepared Amos, had already bestowed upon him extraordinary gifts so that he didn't need to go to seminary. He didn't have to go to the school of the prophets. He was a God-fearing man. He was a, a godly man, and he had the gifts of preaching. And so God called him and sent him to preach. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, How shall Israel hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? God sent Amos to preach a very negative message, to preach against the evils of his day, the crimes that were prevalent the immorality, the complacency, the abuse, the the oppression, the false religion. Not a nice message to have to preach. And then to be preaching to a nation that was so corrupt that he knew that they were going to go into captivity and to have to announce that as well. If it were not for his divine call, Amaziah, the priest, might have had a legitimate reason to send him away. If Amos was just a man who claimed to be speaking the word of God, but was not actually called and sent, then he didn't have any authority. But Amos refers to his call from God, because this shows that he was not speaking his own word but he was speaking the very word of God. Therefore, they must listen to it. They must receive it. They must submit themselves to it. They didn't have a right to send him away. Paul commends the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, 
because, he says, you received the preaching that we brought, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. When Amaziah said to Amos, don't prophesy, go back to Judah, he was rejecting the very word of God and nothing else. Amos was a type of Christ as a prophet. Christ came into the world in some ways like Amos. He came out of very humble origins. Christ was born in Bethlehem, a little town in Judah not very far from Tekoa. And Christ was raised in Nazareth, a little town in Galilee that was of no account. But God had called and sent Christ from heaven And God had said to his son, go and prophesy to my people Israel and to the whole world and cry out against the evils of the day. Warn them of the judgment to come upon those who do not repent. But when Jesus came to Israel, when Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, when he preached against the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes, for their oppression of the poor and the widows, taking away from them their money. When he preached against the Jews for their outward and formal religion, going through the motions of worship when their hearts were far from him. When he preached against them for their legalism, thinking that if they keep all these laws just right, they will be righteous before God and that they can do that, and that they do. When he preached against their hypocrisy, when he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! On the outside you are like a whitewashed sepulcher, but on the inside, in your hearts, there are dead men's bones. They not only rejected him, but they crucified him. Just as they rejected the word of Amos, so they rejected the word of Christ. But as they were crucifying him, Christ was giving his life for us. So that he might purchase for us righteousness and the means of receiving that righteousness. So that he might purchase for us the gift of faith. Because by nature we're no different from these Israelites. We're no different from Amaziah. We say the very same thing when the word of God rebukes our sins. Go away. I don't want to hear that. Go prophesy somewhere else. But Christ died on the cross to purchase for us the gifts of faith and repentance so that now by the Holy Spirit, he works in the hearts of his elect so that when we hear the preaching, even the rebukes of our sins, He humbles us so that we repent and we believe. Amos is also an example that points forward to all ministers of the gospel, to the great company of preachers found throughout the ages of history. And many of those preachers have come from very similar origins as Amos. In fact, I myself I've often referred to the call of Amos because I resonate with it so much. Amos was a 
herdsman. I also was the son of a, father, of a farmer. He grew up in the fields. So did I. He grew up among the animals. I did too. He was a simple man from an ordinary family, as was I and so many other of God's servants. Like Amos, I did not seek the ministry either. I grew up planning to follow in my father's footsteps to be a farmer like him, to go into the greenhouse business. And the Lord spoke to me, go and pursue the ministry. And I could do nothing else. The same word that he spoke to Amos, he spoke to me. What can a man do when the Lord, through the Spirit, lays upon him the burden of ministering the word of God? Now no longer from direct revelations, but through the exposition of the scriptures. It changes the direction of one's life. And one can then always look back and can remember, God called me to this ministry. I didn't take it upon myself. I didn't appoint myself. I didn't thrust myself into this office. I was called. I know that I was called. And I was sent. I was ordained with a laying on of hands by the church, in the church, and sent to the church to preach to the church and to the world. The minister of the gospel, who is lawfully called and sent and ordained to the ministry, and who faithfully preaches the word of God, must be heard. The word that he brings, so far as it is a faithful word, so far as it is the faithful teaching of the scriptures must be received, not as the word of a man, but as it is, in truth, the word of God himself. If we despise prophesyings, as Paul tells us not to do in 1 Thessalonians 5, if we despise the preaching of the pure word of God, then Amos has a warning for us too. In chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, he says this to anyone in the external church who despises that preaching of the word. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Amos warns any who refuse and despise the word of God, be warned, the Lord will send you a famine. He will take it away and you will look for it, but you will not find it. Amos concluded his words to Amaziah with a warning of judgment. Verses 16 and 17 of our text, he says, Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city. And thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity 
forth of his land. Amos had a word of warning to Amaziah personally as the leader of that corrupt religion. Amaziah, because you rejected the word of the Lord, your wife will become a prostitute in the land of captivity. Your wife will be taken away from you and sold into prostitution. Your children will fall by the sword of the enemy. You will be carried off with the captives and die in that polluted land of Assyria amongst all of the idols of heathenism. And Israel, which also rejected the word of Amos, will surely go into captivity. The same warning of Amos needs to be sounded today. The same warning. That warning needs to be sounded forth to any nominal Christian or any nominally Christian church, that is, any person or any church that claims to be Christian, but who worships however they please and not the way God pleases, as Israel with its golden calves. To any nominally Christian person or church that is full of deceivers and abusers and oppressors, men or women who are oppressing the poor and the needy and crushing them under their feet, abusing little boys and little girls, or abusing their wives or their husbands at home. Those who are at ease in Zion, who think, no matter what we do, it doesn't matter, because we're the church, we're the people of God. We can eat and drink and be drunken and indulge our desires and lusts, all that we want. We can sing and dance and party. And no evil will come to us. The word of Amos is, Woe unto you, repent, and return to the Lord. The message of Amos has to come to anyone in the nominally Christian world who is only going through the motions of religion who has no love for the Lord in the heart, no fear of God, no true and living faith, who has no real interest in spiritual things. The message of Amos to all is, hear the word of the Lord. Those who walk impenitently in those sins shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But Amos ends his book on a note of hope. He ends with a prophecy of salvation and restoration and looks forward to the day of Christ. In chapter 9, verse 11, he concludes, In that day, the day of Christ, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, And of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Amos was saying, God will send Christ. He will send the son of David. And he will raise up the tabernacle of David, the dynasty of David, the kingdom of David, that has fallen on hard times. He will raise it up. He will make it glorious. He will make it into an everlasting kingdom. 
Through his death and resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ has done that very thing. And James, the brother of Jesus, who was one of those who would not hear the word of Christ during his life, but who was later humbled to repentance, said in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, this word of Amos, this prophecy, is fulfilled today. Acts 15, verses 13 through 17. And after they had held their peace, this is at the great Jerusalem council in the early church, James answered and said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. And now he quotes Amos. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. James says that in this New Testament, when the Gentiles are being gathered into the tabernacle of David, through Christ, Amos' word is being fulfilled. And then, the last words of the book of Amos. He points our hope forward to the eternal kingdom in paradise. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt And I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. And with that, Amos concludes his message. It's a word of hope for the children of God in those days and for us today that God will end these chastenings and these tribulations and he will bring us into the land of eternity. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we give thanks to thee for the message from the book of Amos. Many things for us to consider in that message. We pray, Lord, that thou wilt apply it to each one of us according to our own unique needs, that thou would use it to humble us, to bring us to repentance anew, that we would strive against our sinful inclinations and strive to worship thee in spirit and in truth. 